This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. We are back with another episode. This time we'll be talking about Zionism versus Judaism. My guest in this episode is Ajami Umi from Sacramento, US of A. Ajami is a dedicated activist, organizer, author who has engaged in on-the-ground work throughout Africa, Europe, and the Caribbean, and throughout the US of A for about four decades now. His latest work is a guide for defense against white supremacist, patriarchal, and fascist violence. This work is a step-by-step methodology to how to build strong, empowered communities while linking them to the international struggle for justice and forward human progress. His other works are the paradox principle, the courage equation, mass incarceration in California, it's about profits, not justice. Last but not least, Ajamu is an organizer with the All African People's Revolutionary Party, a Pan-African political party based in Africa with chapters all over the world. Ajamu, let me welcome you. This is the second time we have you on the platform and we always appreciate when you can take out time from your heavy schedule of organizing all over the world as, as I have aforementioned. Yeah, well, it's always an honor to be here. I appreciate you, comrade. Thank you. Well, today we are talking about a subject that has caused so much confusion. And one person who brought this to my attention is Kwame Ture, who has mm-hmm. spoken about this and he has spoken about that in the 60s. He decided to dedicate to reading a book on Zionism each month. And I'm sure he has done a lot of contribution in the world in terms of clarifying this problem. Obviously, there are other honest Jews who separate Judaism from Zionism. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Kwame Ture to begin with and uh, his contribution to this subject? Absolutely. I mean, I think Kwame Ture is a overwhelmingly significant figure as it relates to African people's understanding of Zionism in the world today. And I think people should know that brief history. Um, It goes back actually to an African woman, as is usually always the case, named Ethel Minor. And Ethel Minor was a member of the Nation of Islam. And the Nation of Islam should get some credit because in this backward U.S., she, uh, they were the first organization to really start artic- articulating a position against Zionist Israel. And once Malcolm X left the Nation of Islam in 1964, Ethel Minor left with him. And Malcolm X, of course, was critical in articulating the Nation of Islam's position against Zionism. And when Malcolm X was assassinated in February 1965, Ethel Miner joined the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC. And Kwame Ture, who was Stokely Carmichael then, became the chairperson of SNCC in June of 1966. And Ethel Miner wrote a position paper on the question of Palestinian people and the Zionist State of Israel that really played a pivotal role in helping SNCC create its position of becoming anti-Zionist. And SNCC actually, after the Nation of Islam became the first African organization in the U.S. to take an anti-Zionist position. And again, a lot of that was largely influenced by Ethel Miner. And of course, Kwame Ture and a lot of other cadre in SNCC ended up in the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. And so the anti-Zionist position continued and has been a part of our work since 1968. By contrast, I'm going to incite you and I'm going to read this tweet before we jump into what Zionism is and its historical development. 
moment. I will tell you after I've read the tweet who has posted this. All Americans should be horrified and outraged by the brazen terrorist attacks on Israel and the slaughter of innocent civilians. We grieve for those who died. Pray for the safe return of those who have been held hostage and stand squarely alongside our ally Israel as it dismantles Hamas. As we support Israel's right to defend itself against terror, we must keep striving for a just and lasting peace for Israel and Palestinians alike. Barack Hussein Obama. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's not surprising. I, you know, as soon as you started out saying (laughs) we as Americans, I'm like, I know that's going to be a whack (laughs) statement because I mean, the whole problem is this question of settler colonialism, right? Like what these people are trying to tell us and convince us that we should believe is that somebody, meaning the uh, Zionists, can go into someone else's country, the Palestinians country, and steal it. And then when the Palestinians, and then oppress and exploit the Palestinian people. And when the Palestinian people resist that, then they're the terrorists. It's, it's the same analogy that Malcolm X gave, you know, 50 plus years ago, that when you defend yourself against racist attacks, you're not a racist. <laughs> you're the one who's fighting against racism. So the Palestinians can never be terrorists. I don't care. Like when I, I'm not backing away from um, anything that they're claiming Hamas, the Hamas, Hamas, whatever Hamas is doing, I don't care if everything they're saying they're doing is true, even though it's not true. But even if everything they were saying is true, they have every right to do it. it it's just like if you, someone busted in your house, kidnapped, raped, killed your family, you have every right to do whatever you need to do to get those people off of your family and out of your house. And anybody that would be standing there saying, oh, that's terrible how they defended their family, then that's just an insane human being or someone who has a a, a political agenda um, that wants to hide the justice behind the action that you're taking. And and that's clearly what we're seeing here. And, you know, Barack Obama is nothing but um, one of the world's chief Negro uh, faces for international imperialism. And that's all he, that's the only reason why he was elevated to the position that he held and all of those like him, that's their role is to advance international imperialism. So of course he's a Zionist. What else is he going to be? He's not a revolutionary. He's, he's without question the uh, spokesperson for international Zionism. Also, Hugh P. Newton, if I remember, he's also uh, yes, shared the same sentiment of how the system decides to make the victim to be the person who is wrong. So I, I think I agree with that 100%. Thank you so much for that. I think that's a, a wonderful way for us to begin this. We, we are kind of like beginning with the end in mind because that's the same way we are going to end in terms of the way I've thought about this episode. So now let's dive in. Please talk to us about the origin and the history of Zionism. What is Zionism and how has it developed over the years? We will later talk about how is it differentiated from Judaism. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think it's important that people realize what Zionism is and what Judaism is. And first we start with Judaism because Judaism is an honored and historic form of faith and worship. And we honor and respect all genuine forms of faith and worship, whether it be Judaism, excuse me, Christianity, Islam, Ife, Santeria, uh, Buddhism, whatever it is, we respect those provided that the people that practice them do so in a way that upholds justice for all of humanity and the planet Earth. And so African people, of which Judaism is intrinsically and historically linked, could never be anti-Judaic. It's just not possible for a conscious African to be anti-Judaic. So one of the tricks 
is to say anyone who speaks out against the oppression of the Palestinians is anti-Semitic. And people need to, you know, even the bourgeoisie Webster's Dictionary defines a Semitic person as an African, Asiatic, Arab person. So that's, that's just absolute nonsense. It's not serious. But Judaism is a form of honored historical faith and worship. Zionism is a political move. Zionism and Judaism have absolutely nothing to do with one another. Zionism is a political movement that finds its history in a conference in Switzerland, in Bau, Switzerland, in 1897, where the father of Zionism was a man named Theodore Herzl. And these people met there with the intention of establishing a political state that would hold state power so that they could engage in the process of having international having a base for international imperialism. And they could use this country to do that. And they wanted to simply use religion as a cover and a justification to have this state. But, you know, history is clear that occupied Palestine was not even the first location that they, these people chose at this conference in 1897. Originally, they focused in on Uganda. And then they talked about Venezuela. But they didn't like either of those places because of their geographic location. In the case of Uganda, they didn't like it because it was landlocked. And they wanted to establish this illegal state in a place where they could uh, have some control over some of the most pro, uh, influential shipping routes in the world. So they settled on what was then Palestine. And anybody that looks at a map before 1948, there's no Israel on there. It's Palestine because that's what the country was. And it was, of course, you know, a part of the Ottoman Empire at some time, at some point, And that's a long history. But um, just for the sake of the question, in 1917... Britain decided that Palestine would be theirs to govern. They had decided that before that. And so they issued the Balfour Declaration, which was issued by Lord Balfour, who was the imperialist leader in Britain at the time. And what that did is it gave the green light for these Europeans from Europe, or what they call Ashkenazi Jews, to begin to settle into occupied Palestine. And so that began the practice of them moving to Palestine and setting up lifestyles there, setting up in existence there. This was long before the Holocaust. This was 30 years before the Holocaust. And these people did this as a part of this Zionist movement. And so the World Zionist Congress, which was an organization that advanced the Zionist question after Theodore Herzl died, was led by people like this man, Shane Weizmann. And one of the things, I mean, it's such a long history, people really need to check it out. But one of the things that Weizmann was really effective at was uh, being able to propagate the question of the Zionist state. And they were very good at doing that. In fact, Shane Wiseman was able to convince the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, here in this country to support the Zionist movement and to have speaking tours raising money for the creation of Zionist Israel. And even Marcus Garvey, if you look at Marcus Garvey, Marcus Garvey expressed support for the creation of the Zionist state of Israel. But the problem with all of this, it, as Kwame Ture correctly pointed out, is that Zionism was propagated by Herzl and Wiseman as a liberation movement. But there can be no liberation movement based on stealing somebody's land. That's just not possible. Liberation movements have to be based on justice and reclaiming dignity for people, not stealing land from another people. So you have the Holocaust. These people are settling there. And you have the Holocaust. And after the Holocaust, this be this this Holocaust became the justification for the state of Israel. And three years after the fall of Nazi Germany in 1945 and the end of World War II, the state of, they had enough people over there 
and the state of Israel was officially declared. Now, the last couple of points I want to make about that is that you, um, you, you certainly had international outrage at this entire thing. And a lot of the outrage, it's difficult for people to understand now unless they've studied it. But the World Zionist Congress that I mentioned, Shane Wiseman, during the 1920s and 30s and 40s, they engaged in international work to working with the governments in Europe to to work with those governments to push people to want to leave those countries because these Ashkenazi Jews, these white Jews, they were certainly persecuted in Europe. We're not denying that. Without question, they were persecuted in Europe. And so what the World Zionist Congress did is they worked with governments. They worked with the Polish government. They worked with the Russian government. They worked with Austrian government. They worked with the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. And what they said is the more difficult you make it for these people, it will push them towards wanting to leave your country because you don't want them there anyway, and it'll push them to want to move towards this state that we're so uh, vigorously trying to create in Palestine. And so that happened. Now, the problem is that the Palestinian people had absolutely nothing to do with the Holocaust or any oppression of any Ashkenazi Jews in Europe. We're not saying that these white Jews don't have agreements. They do have agreements, but their grievances against Germany and Poland and Romania and all, they, they should petition those countries for some land. That's who had they owes a debt to them, not the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people had nothing to do with any oppression of any white people. The oppression of Ashkenazi Jews is white on white crime, and it should be solved in that manifestation. Thank you, thank you so much for for that clarity and then the fact that you're able to embellish or put British imperialism into or having a hand in the establishment of Zionism and how these are just Eastern European people who have decided that they want to establish a state. But now let's, can we talk a little bit about Judaism, its origin, and uh, obviously there are key figures there such as Moses, and uh, I remember that Sigmund Freud attempts to say Moses was an African. So there's so much scholarship that suggests that uh, Moses was an African, even though today in Judaism, in Christianity and in fact the Abrahamic faith they tend to hoist Moses and uh, you know some of us growing up in Christianity we were conditioned to believe that this origin of these faiths it's European and you know the Roman Catholic is so much big in this they brought up with a uh, Jesus the Christ who is white yeah. they have also angels you grew up seeing angels they are like little babies that are white so that's became a powerful tool in just making us without asking questions believing that anything that has to do with religion and uh, if ever they are divine beings they are also of white uh, descent or they are white in a sense so i think that's very important for the person who is a believer or somebody who's been conditioned that way to understand the origin of judaism because others do understand that christianity comes after it seems to be borrowing so much from judaism as we understand it but i want you to correct me wherever i'm wrong in this in, in what i've just said and then just elaborate on what is judaism where does it originate and its development so that it's uh, we separate it from what we now hear that hey, all these many white people that have got small heads and then some kind of locks or something like that, we view them as the Jews. And it's easy for the mind to quickly think that it originates with them. So can you clarify that for us? Yeah, so I think a good place to start, and that's that's an outstanding question. That question is at the center of this confusion. And I think a good place to start is to say unequivocally that we don't believe that any religion 
is an ethnicity. We don't believe that. It's not a religion is a religion. It's not an ethnicity. Ethnicity speaks to culture and history. Religion speaks to faith. So there is no such thing as, and this is a confusion that spreads throughout all the forms of faith, right? Like, you know, any African that's born in Africa and comes to the Western world, you know, they'll, they'll have a name, like they'll, they'll go by the name of John something, for example. And okay, you ask okay. them, how did you get, you know, how is your name John? And they'll say, that's my Christian name, right? I and, wanted to mention, sorry, right. I wanted to mention that I'm one of those who came from Africa. I'm in the Western right. world in America. But right. luckily, I don't have those names. My name is Traditional Africa. I wanted to mention Good. that for the record. But continue. <laughs> but you know what I mean? A lot of us that Perfect. come from home in Africa, we have these names and we call them Christian names. And I always have told people, that's not a Christian name. It has nothing to do with Christian. It has to do with colonialism. It's not. They took your African name and named you, gave you a European name, just like they did the same to me. I just gave it back to them. But that's what they've done. They've used religion to justify colonization. So this is a, the reason why this is a good place to start is because we have to recognize that the history of Judaism is, as I mentioned, intrinsically linked to the history of Africa. Now, we don't know, you know, we're not prepared to say uh, what national, nationality Jesus was, and I don't really care what nationality Jesus was, but we certainly know that Jesus was not European. And you mentioned Sigmund Freud and the book he wrote, Moses, Moses and Monotheism. It's a very difficult book to find, but if people can find it, strongly urge you to read it, read it because what he did in that book is he was able to present a ton of archaeological and historical evidence, as you mentioned, to make the point that Moses's mother um, never spoke Hebrew. She spoke Amoritic and all of these languages tied to Africa. And so the point he's making is that Moses was an African. And that is the reason, that book is the reason why I think Sigmund, Sigmund Freud has been maligned in history, you know, because they, they wanted to discredit him for writing that particular book. But the point of that is there's a video on YouTube where Kwame Ture is speaking at a university in 1990, I believe it is. And there are all these Zionist students in the audience and they keep challenging, trying to challenge everything he's saying. And he asked a simple question. He asked them, so who were the people? Because they kept saying, well, the Jews were oppressed in Egypt. And so he kept asking him, who were these Jews that were in Egypt? We're talking about thousands of years ago. Who were these Jews in Egypt? And they kept, you know, saying all this stuff, but they, they didn't answer the question. And the reason why they didn't answer the question is because they couldn't answer the question. The point that Kwame was making was that these people that the Bible talks about who were in Egypt thousands of years ago, those were African people. They were not from Europe. They were not Ashkenazi Jews. They were African people. And I'm not saying that to claim some sort of ge uh, genealogical superiority or anything. I don't really care. But my point is that this is not, these people that use this biblical history today to justify the theft of Palestinian land, that wasn't even the same people that the Bible was talking about. And the Bible's not even history. It, it's only valid to the people that believe it. it it's not uh, something that uh, is viewed as historical record by people who are not Christians. So that, you know, we don't talk about that. So I know it sounds strange even to say it, but it's not refutable. So Judaism is, again, it's a form of historical faith that without question is tied to Africa. We gave the example of Sigmund Freud. There's also the clear and irrefutable proof of the Bible itself and the Torah. If you look at those books, which are the books of uh, 
Christianity and, and Judaism. And if you look at the Bible, for example, because most people are much more familiar with that, the first country mentioned in the Bible is what? And no matter what version you look at, um, I know in the Old Testament, it's Genesis 2 verse 13, but it changes because, you know, they change in the Bible because they're trying to use the Bible to confuse people today. But if you look at the Old Testament, Genesis 2 verse 13, the first place mentioned in the Bible is Ethiopia or the ancient name, it was Cush with a K or C. And if you study that, that Cush is means land of the burnt faces, like the translation in Amharic, which is the language spoken in Ethiopia today. And so this was where the Adam and Eve story started. So there's no question about the ties of Africa to the ancient forms of worship like Judaism. And so this is why we know that the original Jews were Africans. They were called the Falasha Jews. And the descendants of those people still exist today and they still live in Ethiopia. A lot of them, confused, have listened to this backward propaganda that Israel today is the home for Jews. So they have traveled with nothing all the way across the African continent to occupy Palestine. They've come to places like Jerusalem and they've been treated miserably by the racist Zionist regime and occupied Palestine. But these types of actions, everybody has to understand, they have nothing to do with Judaism. This is people practicing the political movement of Zionism. And we cannot afford to be confused about that. There's a political movement over here. That's Zionism. That's to get the political state and control resources. That's what that's about. And then there's the historical faith of Judaism. And there are approximately 12 million people in the world today who identify as Jews. Over 1 million million of those 12 million are anti-Zionist Jews. They do not believe and do not support the state of Israel. They see that as a political movement correctly, because that's exactly what it is. And they argue that nothing in the Bible gives them any right to any land of any people, including the Palestinian people. And these people hold the correct position. You can even go on TikTok, damn it, and you can see they've got tons of videos where these quote-unquote Orthodox Jews are protesting the state of Israel and holding Palestinian flags. So this phenomenon you see right now, where people are standing up for Palestine, and they are uh, speaking out against the state of Israel, and they're, oh, it's anti-Semitic. Oh, no, no, that, that's a bunch of nonsense, and it's confusion designed to make you not want to understand this true history. The true history is that any true Jew would have to be against the state of Israel, just like any true Christian would have to be against the colonization of the America and the colonization of Africa. You can't be a Christian and say, well, I stand with the colonization of America, the theft of the indigenous people's land, the theft of African land and resources, you're not a Christian. You're just somebody like all these quote-unquote Christians in Africa today. You're just using the religion to justify your political agenda. And that's what these Zionists are doing in the state of Israel. And there's so much confusion there, particularly in the Christian community. I grew up in that community again. And uh, one of the things that we do, we just start realizing the ways of men. And then all of a sudden we see that there is, there is the Bible. And then we just hop on, we just believe this material without question and stuff. And today it seems like now people are asking the right question. And that's why we also have you here to try and make people rethink what they have adopted and be able to separate real belief in moral principle and from criminal activity that has gone around the earth. So, but one of the things that I want you to tie in now is 
or maybe just give us a little bit of clarity on how the Europeans adopt this faith that was started by Africans, according to your argument and Sigmund Freud and many other scholars too. And that has caused the real confusion. Well, I think, you know, like any form of faith, it's practiced by people from all backgrounds and ethnicities, right? Muslims are African. They're European Muslims. They're Asian Muslims. The, most people don't realize this, but the largest Muslim, Muslim country in the world is the Asian country, Indonesia. So Muslims come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Christians come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Jews come in all shapes, sizes, and co- colors. So we believe that, you know, it, it makes perfect sense that there are many Jews who would come from Europe. But there is no Jewish ethnicity that is white people saying that we are the, like in, in the state of Israel, their their law says that they define who is a Jew. So like today, there are Europeans who live in New York City, for example, who say that they're Jews, who have automatic citizenship in the state of Israel, whereas these Falasha Jews from Ethiopia, who are the original Jews are not considered citizens by the state of Israel. So that should tell you right there how fraudulent this whole thing is. And again, we want to hammer home this notion that there is no such thing as religion and ethnicity being the same thing. Now, if you take any people and you have them live in similar conditions for a period of time in history, they will begin to develop cultural practices that reflect their experiences uh, without question. But that is, is what that is. What I just said is what that is. It's not a religion. It's not an identity. It's not an ethnic identity. So we refute that notion that these people are white and they eat bagels and whatever the hell they do. So those are the, that's the definition of what a Jew is. And if you don't do that, you're not a Jew. No, white people can be Jews, of course, like anybody can be Jews. But every religion requires you to have a life that has principles of justice. And so any religion that's operating in a way that encourages you to not do that is not really a true honored faith. It's not a true honored practice of a faith. And I'll just give one quick example. There's a video out there of one of these anti-Zionist European Jews I mentioned is a man named Finkelstein. And he has a video out where he's speaking at a university recently, within the last couple of weeks. And this European young woman gets up to the microphone and she starts crying. My my parents had to go to Israel. We need the state of Israel. And he listens to her. And then he tells her, I'm not impressed with the crocodile tears. And the audience, who's heavily influenced by Zionism, of course, like everybody in this back country, they start booing him. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm, and he says, look, both of my parents were killed in Auschwitz. They were put in the damn ovens. His parents, he says that, they were killed in the ovens. So I don't need any of you people to preach to me about uh, what happened to Jewish people in Europe. But he says, I am not going to allow that to be used as justification to exploit and oppress the Palestinian people. And that is absolutely the correct position. That's a white man that said that. But in my analysis, he is without question a principal Jew. That's very important, the, the principles, because most of the time we, we seem to follow belief that even it shows that it's leading us to injustice. Like I uh, I know historically, even myself, I was conditioned to think that the Jews are returning to their own land, the Israel are returning to their own land. I think that's another line that need, that deserves analysis. Why is it that we just buy into the fact that this is prophecy fulfilled, as others have said, that the Jews will return to their land? 
land or the Israelites will return to their land and they talk about the 12 tribes and the dispersion of the 12 tribes and Judah dispersed and then they they are coming back because that's another aspect of the confusion. Can you talk to that? Yeah, um, so I think I mentioned briefly that the World Zionist Congress in the 1920s, they exploited the African mass because what was happening at that time is a alliance was being formed between this Lord Balfour, who I mentioned in Britain, and the racist apartheid regime in Azani or what they call by the colonial name South Africa. Jan Smuts was the prime minister of South Africa at the time and the United Snakes of America. So they had this strategy and they manipulated, they thought about it. You know, these people were strategic. Now, who in the world, what people in the world would be the most like to have a message resonate with them about the need to return home? There are no people on the planet Earth who that message would resonate more than the scattered African mass living in 120 countries because of colonialism and slavery. So these people studied that and they manipulated Mm. that and Mm. they came Mm. to us and they told their story the way they wanted us to understand it. We're law, we're Jews, we we just want to return home. In fact, that's what the word Zion means, to return home. And so that's why Africans, we understand that better than anybody else on earth because we have been separated from our homeland. And when I say that, I mean, not only just those of us whose ancestors were kidnapped and placed into slavery, but I asked the question like, you know, for you, for example, why are you not in Southern Africa today? Why are you not in Swaziland? Because all all of the colonization created conditions in Africa where our people don't have there what they need. So we have to leave and come to these backward empires to get educations and jobs and that's that to me that's the same thing as why I'm here. It's no different. You know, we're both in this backward cesspool place for the same damn reason. So this is what happened, right? Historically is they manipulated us and they appealed to us and we actually raised a lot of money for the Zionist cause and we continue to do that. Like the statement you read from Barack Obama, that's not just in isolation him as an individual. There's a history of Africans standing up to support the Zionist state of Israel, not just here in the United States, but all throughout Africa, all throughout Africa, there's a history of this happening. For example, here in this country, there is an organization founded in the 1960s called BASIC, Black Americans in Support of Israel Committee. That committee still exists. And virtually every African uh, leader that was accommodationist and was somebody that the structure basically anointed as a leader is a part of basic. Going back to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who I see as a principal and honest human being, but he was confused about the question of Zionists because he was a, he was a Zionist. I'm sure if he would have lived, he would have gained the consciousness to change his mind. But while he was living, that was it. And all of these people that are here today, Reverend Al Sharpton, Zionist, part of BASIC. Reverend Jesse Jackson, Zionist, part of BASIC. Barack Obama, Zionist, part of BASIC. Kamala Harris, all of them are Zionist. And then if you go to the African continent, it's the same thing. The Zionist state of Israel has used Ethiopia as its police force throughout Africa for decades. And as a result of that, 
the Zionist State of Israel has given in on average $20 million in armaments to Ethiopia for several years now. And the reason why they do that is because in the 1970s, Palestinian commando groups used various areas of Africa to stage their operations to attack the State of Israel. So what they did is they got these backward reactionary puppet leaders in Africa to support their efforts because the masses of African people in Africa are, of course, they're going to be anti-Zionist. Why? Because one of the things I mentioned about the alliance between the U.S., South Africa, and Israel is that from the 1920s all the way up to today, now the De Beers, the largest diamond producing company in the world today is De Beers. It has been for the last 100 years. There are no diamond mines De Beers is mining in Europe. That's not where they're mining and getting the diamonds from. They're getting them. There are none in Sacramento, none in the U.S. All of those diamonds come from Africa. And today, 30 to 40% of the polished diamonds that are sold on the diamond market are polished in the state of Israel. And there is not a single diamond mine in occupied Palestine or the state of Israel. Those are African diamonds. And the Zionist state of Israel has every interest in keeping political instability throughout Africa because much of their economy is based on stealing African diamonds, polishing them and selling them on the open market. So those of you who see this and you, oh, I'm getting married. I want to get a diamond ring. You ought to be ashamed of yourself because all you're doing is upholding the oppression of African people worldwide and the oppression of the Palestinian people by buying that diamond. Now I'm married. I don't have a diamond. I wouldn't buy. You couldn't give me a diamond. And we have to increase our consciousness so that we understand that we have to make principled moral decisions that don't buy into that level of oppression against our own people and any element of humanity. Right on, right on, right on. I think that's about the perfect time to get into the legalities of uh, Palestine or uh, particularly international support at the UN level. And uh, can you talk to us about that and uh, some of the support that come from international uh, recognized laws or the treaties and uh, the nations coming together that have endorsed over the years that yeah. the Palestinians are the owners of the land? Because I think that's important too, to bring in the legalities of showing that those who understand the history and understand those who have always been on that land uh, at an international level or treaty level. Yeah, you know, um, I think um, I remember about eight years ago, um, I met a young Palestinian woman. She was 22 at the time, and she had come to this country to do a speaking tour. And I was asked to come on and do security for her. So I did that. And I got a chance to talk to her. And she was from Gaza. And she explained to me that they held her at customs in the state of Israel for two weeks. And that was standard practice. They just put them in a room for two weeks. Don't tell them anything, nothing. And, you know, those types of conditions are standard fare for the Palestinian people. And I think that's why you're seeing what you're seeing in the world today, like hundreds of thousands of people everywhere, all throughout Europe, in Africa, uh, in, in the Americas supporting the Palestinian people. I think that's why you're seeing that. And the Zionists, of course, are obviously seeing it. That's why they work overtime to, you know, continue to spread that confusion. But I think it's important to talk about the different types of work 
that are necessary and required to engage in proper Palestinian solidarity. So there are the demonstrations, and those are great. If you're not going to them, you should go. If you don't have one in your town, you should organize them. That's a wonderful thing. You should do that. But that is great movement work. That's great. But that's not the only type of work that's needed. Now, in the All African People's Revolutionary Party, for example, we are not, you know, we're not protesters. We're not a demonstration type of organization. That's not what we do. I've done a lot of security for other organizations at demonstrations, but we don't get out and have demonstrations. We are more about engaging in raising the political consciousness of our people. That's a lot of what our work is about. So we would say go to the demonstrations, but also we have to do more of what you're doing here. We have to encourage people to get properly educated about this question of Zionism and Judaism and to and to do that in an organized fashion so that they can engage in sustainable anti-Zionist work. That's what we're interested in doing. And the reason why we're interested in doing it is because it's a question of justice, number one. And number two, I'm speaking to my African people because a lot of us are very confused. You know, I hear I get this all the time. Why are we standing up for Arab people? They don't stand up for us. And whenever someone says something like that to me, that's telling me that they don't understand what's happening in the world. They might mean well, they might not, but they certainly are confused about what's happening in the world. Because our position correctly is that we support the Palestinian people 100%. And I don't care if every Palestinian on the planet Earth was racist against African people, which we've been working with Palestinians for years, so I know that's not true. But even if it was true, I don't care because I understand that the enemies that we are fighting the international capitalist imperialist network that exploits Africa and African people every day is the same enemy that they're fighting. So a victory for them makes the enemy we're fighting weaker. A victory for us makes the enemy they're fighting weaker. So I'm not confused. Like I support the Irish people in their struggle for uh, ending uh, the British colonialism of Ireland. We certainly support the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. All of those victories benefit us and our victory benefits them. So solidarity should happen because justice should be what the principles that you're living your life for. But if you're a person that has to see where it benefits you personally, then a victory for Palestine benefits all peace and justice loving people. You can't refute that. You cannot refute that. It benefits all peace and justice loving people because the reason why the U.S. gives the state of Israel $5 billion in aid, the state of Israel is the largest welfare recipient that the U.S. has. And the reason why they give them that money is because they represent the anchor for U.S. and worldwide capitalist imperialism in the Middle East. And that's why they support. So the that that anchor falls is a victory for all of us who are anti-imperial. And if you don't understand that, then, and you try to argue against that, then you're just not serious about really engaging this struggle in a serious way. And uh, Dr. King agrees with you in terms of solidarity that uh, an injustice anyway is a threat to justice everywhere. Right. right on, right on. Appreciate that. I remember that there was a UN resolution, might have been early 70s, so 1972, that uh, stated categorically that the state of Israel is uh, a Faith state. Uh, I don't know if you can confirm that. Uh, that uh... Yeah. Um, now, you know, of course, the resolution was overturned by the United Nations because, again, the Zionist system, they don't stop. And they worked on it for years. And you, there were two UN resolutions that talked about 
One talked about Zionism is racism. I can't remember the, the numbers on the resolutions, but I know there were two. One talked about Zionism is, ra is racism. And the other one affirmed that there should be no movement by the state of Israel into, you know, what they've done is they've encroached on all the Palestinian territories, right? Of course, all of it was Palestine. And it, excuse me, from 1948 up through the 1960s through 1967 and beyond into the 1980s, they continued to steal more and more of the land. Now today, we're left with primarily Gaza, which is a small strip of land, like 25 square miles, I believe, 2 million people. And then you have the West Bank, right? And that's it. And so the other, the second resolution says that, you know, they have to, uh, honor that. And I think that one is still in place. But the first one saying Zionism was racism was struck down because they continued. You know how the United Nations is set up. It's set up so that the imperialist countries are the countries that have veto power. Uh, the mm -hmm. U.S., Israel, uh, Britain, France, those the countries, really countries that have, yeah, they have the power in the UN, I think the only country that doesn't fit that is China. You know, and China consistently votes against it, but they're only one vote. So uh, this is why they, you know, that's a whole different uh, discussion about China, which we need to have that too, because they propagate against China the same way they do against the Palestinian people and against us. And there are reasons for that. And I, I'm sick of seeing Africans parroting this anti-Chinese line, but that's a different thing that we need to talk about, different whole thing. But the point I'm making right now is that these resolutions have been attacked, attacked, attacked for years so that they basically made the Zionism as, as racism one uh, have been able to back that one out and, you know, basically uh, created this scenario in the UN where Zionism is considered a liberation movement, a legitimate liberation movement, which is absolute insanity. And Kwame Ture said there can never be a liberation mo no. movement that works with imperialism. A liberation no. movement fight against imperialism. That's right. Now let's get on to, I don't know whether is a political party or it's something else Hamas it yes. has been making headlines uh, yes. these days it has been there for quite some time I don't know where it goes back to 2009 or so when it was established and then they ran for power but I want us to have clarity on that point what is Hamas or who is Hamas and how did they yes. come to the picture how is it that uh, they were able to contest for power in Palestine when there were movements in Palestine that uh, were sidelined and eventually Hamas was able to triumph and be the one that seems to be uh, controlling the political uh, force in Palestine so talk to us about who Hamas yes. is because it seems others are alleging that this was a creature of <laughs> Netanyahu and Israel, in fact. Yeah, so, I, you know, I'll start with an analogy, right? So in 1964, which was ironically the year that the Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO, was founded. But in 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. met with Lyndon Johnson, who was president in this country at that time. And in the meeting, you know, the, the meetings were uh, recorded by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, you know, we those of us who have spent time studying this, like you, you see the transcripts. But what Dr. King told Lyndon Johnson is you need to give me and the work that I'm doing some victories because there's a more militant element that is emerging. And at that time, that more militant element represented Malcolm X. It represented the Nation of Islam and eventually became the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Black Panther Party. And they were more militant than what Dr. King was talking about because at that time, people in this country saw Dr. King as militant. And he was warning them that there's some people coming here that are going to make 
make you want to talk to me because they're not going to want to talk to you because they're sick of being oppressed. And I say that analogy because with the Palestinian movement, like any movement, they had political trends. They had, when the PLO was founded in 1964, they had the majority element in the PLO was called Al-Fatah. And that was the political organization led by Yasser Arafat, right? And they were engaged, they were engaged with armed struggle with the Zionist state of Israel, but they also were engaged in negotiation with the state of Israel. And they were even engaged at the negotiation table around this question of two states, a state of Israel and a Palestinian state. Al-Fatah and Yasser Arafat were engaged in that. Now, there are also other Palestinians at this time who were observing this. And what they were seeing is that the Zionist state of Israel, the United States, all of these people, they would make these agreements. They wouldn't honor them. They continued to viciously and brutally oppress the Palestinian people. They even continued to sit at the table with Arafat and then make efforts to assassinate him. So what these other folks who observed that saw is that it, it doesn't do us any good to try to sit down. These people have no morality. You can't talk to them. We have to build a movement that will give us our self-determination that we determine, independent of what these people want. And so there were other Palestinian formations. There was the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine. There was the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. George Habash and these folks. There were all of these more militant elements of the Palestinian struggle. And that, that's class struggle within the Palestinian community, just like we have it in the African community. And every community has that level of class struggle. Now, fast forward to 1987, this brutal oppression continues. And if you know anything about human history, the more you brutally oppress people, the more militant against the oppression they're going to become, right? The old saying, repression breeds resistance is absolutely true. So in 1987, you had the Intifada, which is where masses of Palestinians rose up and began to fight back against the Zionists in the state of Israel. Now, they don't have any military there. They were throwing rocks and shooting slingshots, shooting rocks at the Zionists. But it was a mass of people doing it. And Hamas, as an organization, rose out of the Intifada in 1987. Now, Hamas represented what I just got through talking about, a an era of Palestinian people who said, we have to be more militant about achieving our liberation, right? Now, today, the outgrowth of that is that you have the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, which is really the child of Al-Fatah and Yasser Arafat. So for lack of a better analogy, if you want, you can look at them as being Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But you have Hamas, which is, is it is in an Islamic formation, which is much more militant, that is not interested in negotiating with the Zionist state of Israel. And if you want, you can see them as Malcolm X. My point being is that I think that with the oppression that the Palestinian people have been forced to endure, it shouldn't surprise anybody with a brain between their ears that Hamas would develop. It's a reflection of a people's desire to be free. That's what it is. And Hamas eventually gained enough support among the Palestinian people in Gaza, where they were uh, elected to be leadership of the Palestinian people in Gaza. And the Palestinian Authority 
is leadership for the Palestinian people in the West Bank. Now, people can say whatever they want to say about that. But what I will say about it is when you're viciously oppressed, like Malcolm said, you can you have the right to address that oppression by any means necessary. And so if I don't know what's true, because I don't believe anything the capitalist media says. But if they're saying, but I do know this, Hamas is not a military. They only have 25,000 fighters. The state of Israel has half a million fighters in the Israeli defense forces. Plus, they have all the funding from all the imperialist countries in the world. Hamas doesn't have that. They only have a little bit of support from some of the more radical Islamic elements in the world like Iran. And that's it. That's all they have. 25,000 people. They have no air force. They have no planes that shoot weapons. They have no tanks. They don't have a military, you all. They might have some handheld rocket launchers. That's it. They don't have anything that even comes close to uh, being able to cause the damage that uh, killed all those people in that hospital. That's a damn lie if you're going to tell me that Hamas did that. They don't have the military capacity to do that. And I know a lot of people are stupid as hell, but some of us aren't. Like, we can can study this and we can know they don't have... It's like... Having a hospital, uh, a building hospital destroyed and hundreds of people destroyed. And then they get on the media here and say, well, the Bloods and Crips did it. They destroyed the hospital. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they, they, they've done some things that were not cool, but they don't have that kind of capacity. They don't have that. So this is something people have to understand about Hamas. They are an outgrowth of the oppression that has been inflicted on the Palestinian people. So if you don't like Hamas, then stop the oppression against the Palestinian people and drive the state of Israel out of their land. And that's the best thing you can do to develop peace in that region. But as long as you don't do that and you're continuing to support this racist, backward, terrorist regime, then we're going to see a day come when Hamas looks like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Thank you. Right on, right on. And what is happening now because of the number of deaths and the destruction of uh, Palestine uh, buildings and, uh, you know, injuries that are just horrible to witness. Russia proposed a humanitarian ceasefire resolution at the UN Security Council, but that was opposed by the US, France, Japan, UK. Talk to us as uh, some of the concluding thoughts on this subject. Talk to us, what are your thoughts on this uh, resolution and also the opposition thereof? Well, you know, I think our position is clear. Like, we stand 100% in solidarity with the Palestinian people and their right to self-determination and they are the ones who have the right to decide what that looks like right we can't we don't we have no interest in doing that for them we have our own struggle to liberate africa and no one's going to tell us how to do that so the palestinian people have a right to do that whether they decide that the vision and the direction of palestinian authority is what they want or the vision and direction of hamas is what they want or some some other element that's their right to do that but we just say that we respect and support their right to self-determination. Now, I don't have any confidence in anything happening in the United Nations. I think that people need to be very aware of the propaganda that's being aimed against Russia. I'm not with Russia. I'm not against Russia. I think that uh, people need to be aware of why they are trying so hard in the West to turn people against Russia and China. You need to check that out for yourself. I'm not uh, advocating for China or against China. I've been all throughout Africa 
Africans, and I know you have, and I I know that China's role in Africa, I, we want Africa for the Africa. So I don't want anybody else controlling anything in Africa. But to try to convince me that China's role in Africa is the same as European and U.S. imperialism in Africa, uh, somebody saying that just doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. So my point is that these resolutions, I think we should pay attention to what's happening on the ground. And I think that the resolution that Russia proposed, that's a soft solution. You know, it's a soft solution. And what that should show people is that imperialism won't even go for a soft solution. They don't want any solution. The only thing they want is a Palestinian people that are willing to be shaped in a manner that is acceptable to imperialism. And I'll phrase that like this. Uh, several years ago, I went and saw a comedian, a European woman, young European woman who was doing comedy. And she said, um, I love minorities. I love people of color as long as they act white. And I thought that was a genius way of putting it because that is essentially what is in what is in operation here. Like as long as the Palestinian people mally themselves in a way that is acceptable to imperialism, they're okay. As long as African people do that, they're okay. But the minute you stand up and you say, the hell with you, we're going to have our self-determination the way we define it, like Hamas is doing, well, then you're, you know, in their eyes, you're terrorists, you know, which is absolute insanity. And that's why people need to wake up. And, and what you're doing is great. You know, we're doing a lot of work throughout the party to try and educate our people and anyone else who wants to know about this question. And I think that's a critical critical work that has to happen. That's on that very point, your screen background, the Don't Let School Interfere with Your Education workshop series, Israel, Palestinians and Africa Explained, Wednesday November 1, 2023. Talk to us about that as a wrapping up and in terms of inviting people. Maybe yeah. by the time I produce this, you may find that that will have passed, but also right. put in, talk to about how people can still uh, log in somewhere and still find this material if yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the purpose of this event is twofold. One is to do what we attempted to do here, to give people a clear understanding of the differences between Judaism and Zionism. But also, and primarily the point of this particular event, is to talk about the extent to which Zionist Israel relies on exploiting Africa's human and material resources to advance the Zionist empire. That's what we want to do, because this is why African people should always be anti-Zionist. And you go on TikTok and you see, I'm sorry, but you see all these Negroes on there. Well, you should support the state of Israel. Like you, that's a that's a a buffoon who's saying that. So the point of this event is to provide people with education and analysis about these very critical elements. And so, yes, um, even though you will probably have this out after November first, if the video will be up, you can go to AAPR. PCA and you can see it. It's going to be live streamed and you can check it out. But what we're trying to do again is help people understand that Zionism is a political movement that is anti-humanity. Not just anti-Palestinians, but anti-all of humanity. And so all peace and justice loving people have to be anti-Zionist. And again, it's worth noting again that there are a million Jews, white Ashkenazi Jews that are anti-Zionist. So it is not anti-Semitic to be anti-Zionist. It is pro-humanity to be anti-Zionist. Thank you so much for that. Since we've been talking about Africa, that that should be our primary concern. Yes, we are in solidarity with other people. 
In your book, A Guide for Defense Against White Supremacist, Patriarchal and Fascist Violence. In that book, I think it's chapter three, you mentioned something that to me I think is critical and uh, just, you know, summary and we go because I want to emphasize this issue that our primary and objective uh, activity should be about Africa. Yes, we are in solidarity to others. We talk about that our problem is Africa. It's an international problem and by necessary implication, it also requires an international solution. Can we conclude that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just for us, like we start with the fact that wherever we're born, we're still African people because where we're born, we can't look at that the way other people look at because we're born where we are because of colonialism and slavery. That's why we're where we are. That's why we're speaking English right now. That's why we live where we live because of colonialism and slavery. So if we know that, then it's absurd for us to not have an international consciousness because our problem is international. Even though I'm in California in the U.S. here, the problem that our people face is not just in California or in the U.S. It's a worldwide problem. So an international consciousness is necessary. And what U.S. capitalism, for example, what it aspires to do is keep people here engaged in this micro-nationalist consciousness. Don't pay attention to anything happening outside the U.S. And the reason why, and that's why people here don't know anything. Only 22% of people that live in this country country. 350 million people, one of the largest countries on earth. Only 22% of the people that live here even have passports. We're not talking about people that have traveled overseas, but even possess a passport. Only 22% of the people here. And that's including people that don't even, weren't even born here and have to have a passport to get here. So that tells you that they have very effectively convinced people here that they don't, and if you talk to people, they'll confirm what I'm saying. I don't want to travel in there. I don't, I have no interest in traveling in there. I mean, it's, it's okay to be ignorant. That's not anybody's fault. But don't brag about being stupid. Like you gotta, you gotta understand. Like there's a reason why they don't want you to have any interest in the world. They want you to think that all you have to worry about is your life, the life of your family, and nothing else. And that way, if they once they get you in that spot, then they can sell weapons to the worst and most evil people on earth like the the people in Zionist Israel. They can kill people with that. Those are your tax dollars that are paying for the death and destruction. When you see those pictures of Palestinian children with their their limbs blowing off, your tax dollars paid for that if you live in the U.S. When you see pictures of people in various parts of Africa who are victimized there's a by drone attacks, like there's a $100 million attack drone factory in Niger in Africa, in the Sahel region, and you see the damage from that, the devastation in Libya since they destroyed the Libyan Jamaria and Muammar Gaddafi, your tax dollars pay for that. So that's what they don't want you to see. They don't want you to care about that. Well, law ain't me. I don't care. Well, okay. Then when something happens to you, you're on vacation in Italy and somebody kidnaps you and then I don't care. You know, I mean, that's the thing because I wouldn't go to Italy. You couldn't pay me to go there. Because I know they're looking for people with U.S. passports to use as political pawns because that's all they feel like they can do. I'm going to Ghana in December. I ain't got to worry about that at home in Africa. It's not, that's not something. 
That's not something that's happening there. So, you know, you cannot put your head in the sand and ignore what's happening on the planet Earth. You have to broaden your horizons. And that's why international consciousness is so important. The world is international. Our life as African people is international. Our solution is international. And if you don't understand that, you're going to be left behind in the dustbins. Yeah, it's not, it's not very possible that you can have only one country in Africa that is liberated and we think that we are doing okay. It has to be, as Ngwambi Nkrumah has envisioned, that it has to be a total liberation and the unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Right. Thank you so much, Achamu, uh, for coming over. I've uh, taken the whole of your hour from your busy schedule of organizing, of which I appreciate. And uh, we, uh, I'll be happy to have you come back. There's so much subject that I would want us, I want people to learn through this platform about politics, things that we never paid attention to, but it is necessary. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. I appreciate you. I, anytime. Just let me know. You know okay. how to reach me. Thank, All right. Thank, forward thank ever. You. Forward ever. Forward never. Israel Yes, yes. Israel too. We Africa. My boy.